chasing blank. There's not a person here today who at one time or another, and probably a real good freaking chance that right now, you're chasing something in life more than you're chasing Jesus. It, it might be ambition. It might be fame. It might be affirmation. It might be approval. It might be status. It might be money. It might be possessions. It might be comfort. Hey, it might even be something good. You, you might be chasing your spouse your kids, your career, more than your chase in Jesus. And we've talked about through this series, anything that we put above God is an idol. And we chase and we chase and we chase and we live in this thing called the rat race. And we do everything we can to obtain that which we're chasing only to catch it and to find it lacking. Temporarily, it brings us joy. Temporarily, it brings us fulfillment. And here's the deal. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with possessions. There's nothing wrong with comfort. There's nothing wrong with affirmation. But when we need those things in our life to fill a void in our life that only Jesus can fill, we find ourselves lacking. The key to fulfillment, the key to purpose, the key to living the life you were created for is 100% not in chasing whatever your blank is. It's in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're in the last week of this series, and I'll be real honest with you, I've hated this series. With everything that is in me, I despise it. I have dreaded it every Sunday. I have dreaded it when it's time to study. I much prefer the joke around Action Churches. Gary basically has eight sermons that he repackages. I like those eight sermons. I like telling you that God has a purpose for your life. I like telling you that no matter how bad you've screwed up, God can continue to use you. I don't like talking about subjects like this because they're just not exciting. Not a lot of laughs, not a lot of cut-ups, not a lot of cliches. But every once in a while, you just got to get down and have some family chats. And we've been having a family chat throughout this series. I can't wait for it to get done. This is the last week of it. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Next week, I'm starting a series that ought to be real rumor-filled. Starting a series that you think, God, could he get any more raw and any more real than he already is? I'm going to start a series next week called Pastoral Confessions. I'm going to step inside the confessional booth with you, and I'm going to confess some things about your pastor. Some things that, in my experience in hanging out with other pastors, they struggle with the same things. They just fake it a little bit better. And I figure if I'm the pastor and I'm struggling with them, you probably struggle with them too. Like, like, like one of the things I'm going to talk about is, I don't really know if I have a great prayer life. Ain't that sad? I'm like, I'm the pastor. I struggle with prayer sometimes. And, and then uh, I'm going to talk to you about, you know, a lot of times, I just don't like people. Like you're saying, well, aren't you a pastor? I am. I, I'm going to talk about those things. It's going to be a fun series, but we've got to get through this series today. The key to whatever it is, the void in our life that we're trying to fill 100% is a relationship with Christ. But let me clarify that for a moment. It's a true relationship with Christ. Not what the church has turned a relationship into Christ with, into. Not a guilt-based religion that is if you don't set to these standards and do these certain things, man, you're not a Christian. If you don't cross your T's and dot your I's and love who, who we say you ought to love and have the same color skin that we have and talk the same lingo that we have and believe everything in the Bible the exact same way that we believe it, you're not a Christian, not that kind of relationship. I'm talking about a true relationship, not a religion, not a man-made rules religion. The church is so phenomenal. Here's all our man-made rules don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that because, man, we're too scared that if you, if you experience what actual freedom in Christ is, man, you'll blow it. Not this mindset of perfection that so many of us have. 
Perfection. What a word. The unattainable goal of perfection. Yet so many of us spend our lives chasing it. And that's how we're going to wrap up this series today. We've talked about chasing approval. We've talked about chasing fame. We've talked about chasing comfort. And today I want to talk to those of you. And it's a lot of times that I, I, if you'll notice that I, as a pastor, I very rarely say you. I say we. Because I'm with you. I'm screwed up. King of all that is screwed up. I love Jesus, but I cuss a lot. You know, that's just kind of my thing. You know, far from perfect. But I, but I got to be honest with you today. I'm going to talk to you today. Because this is one of those areas that in my life I, I have experienced a lot of deliverance over the years. The chase for perfection. The chase to please. The, the chase to have the perfect job. Be the perfect spouse. Or have the perfect spouse. The chase to have that perfect life that we always dreamed of. And we all dream of that perfect life. It looks a lot different for a lot of different people. To be that perfect person who has it all together and never screws up. (laughs) Got to be perfect to be used by God. So many of us have that mindset. Man, if you only knew what I did here, Man, I, I could never be used to God. You, you don't know what I did five years ago, and you don't know what I did a year ago, and, man, you, you don't know what I did yesterday. And Perhaps if I'm being honest with you, Gary, you don't know what I did this morning. And the reality is I don't really want to know. I don't care. And, and, and I'll throw you a little curveball. I, I don't think God cares as much either. We serve a perfect God who sent a perfect son to pay the perfect price, don't miss this, for our imperfection. God is not surprised by your screw-ups. And I'm convinced a lot of what we call screw-ups are not even screw-ups. God's not shocked that you're not perfect. God's not shocked that you have bad days. God is not shocked that you mess up. God is not shocked that you cuss somebody out or get angry or get frustrated or want to beat your kids or whatever it is. Are you beat? I don't think he likes it when you beat your kids, but if you slap them around a little bit, it's okay. Look, God's not shocked. Cut that out of the podcast. Perfection. Perfection is the unicorn of happiness. It's unattainable. It doesn't exist. No matter how hard you try, matter of fact, I've always said the harder you try to be perfect, the more you'll mess up. I've always said if you're looking for the perfect church and you finally find it, don't join it because you'll screw it up and it'll no longer be perfect. Here's the I don't know who this message is for today. But I've lived my life in the past with this incredibly unhealthy need to live up to the expectation of others. I've lived my life with the unhealthy need to live up to the expectation of other pastors and other churches and what the church world thinks or what the community thinks of me or or what people who don't know me think about me. I've lived up to that expectation. I've lived up to that expectation of my own unrealistic expectations because, man, we put unrealistic expectations on ourselves. We set the standard so high in our own life that it's unattainable, and then we beat ourselves up when we fail. I've lived up, or I've tried to live up to the man-made expectations that I think God has for us. Let me ask you a question. I want you to be honest, and you know what I always say every time I ask you this. I know it's hard to be honest because it's church, and no one's faker than people who come to church. But you're at Action Church, you can be honest. Trust me, no matter what you've done in your life, the person next to you has done worse. Okay? The Action Church. That's how we roll. How many of you would be honest today and say that you're honestly, there are times you're often hard on yourself because you don't really get it right and you really just want to be perfect? Awesome. Four of you are honest today. Now, it's funny, 
We'll battle with imperfection in ourself. And what happens many times is the people who deal with imperfection in their, their own lives are the first people to extend grace to others in the midst of their imperfection. We beat ourselves up, but we encourage others. Your friend calls you and they've messed up and they've done something horrible. And, and what's the person? Hey, don't worry about it. Nobody's, nobody's perfect. What we really mean, though, is nobody's perfect except me. But, and I know I'm not perfect, but I'm going to set the standard in my life to be perfect. And I'm going to chase perfection. And I'm going to do everything I can to be the perfect wife and the perfect employee and the perfect mom and the perfect friend and all this stuff. And we put so much pressure on ourselves to be perfect, thinking that's how we win the approval of God. i got to be real honest with you, and I'm going to break this down for you at the end of the message. If that's the kind of God we serve, count me out. I'm not interested. If I have a God who only loves me when I do X, Y, and Z, I'm not interested. If I have a God who loves me only when I look a certain way and act a certain way and have it all together and I do this and do that and I'm perfect, then, man, I'm just not interested. That's unattainable. So, hey, God, it's been fun. Not interested. We'll still meet every week. We'll sing some music, and I'll give you some life application sermons. But if that was God, I'm not interested. The reality is, though, that's not God. We know it's not God. Yet when it comes to our own imperfections, whether we say it or not, we believe that is how God works. You're quick to show grace to everyone, but never show grace to yourself. In your own life, you have these unrealistic expectations. And when you don't live up to these expectations of being perfect, looking perfect, talking perfect, acting perfect, all of a sudden, because we've been chasing perfection, we can't catch perfection, we begin to feel these deep feelings of shame, guilt, that we're unworthy. And then to top it off, and then to top it off, Scripture can be a little bit intimidating in this area. Especially when pastors do what they're so famous for. When pastors take a verse, they read the verse, but they don't enlighten you to the context of that verse. When they don't enlighten you to the context of the verses that are around that verse. When you just hear a verse, it can be a little intimidating, like Matthew 5.48 where it says, but you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. I was talking about this sermon with someone this week, and they brought this passage of Scripture up. They said, I, I feel like you're teaching heresy, what the Bible says in Matthew 5, 48. And I said, so you're telling me you're perfect? Not what I'm saying. I said, I know I work with you every day. You sit two tables away from me, you idiot. I hate a fake. So you're not living up to the same expectations? Now, that's what the Scripture says. You're to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. At the end of the message, I'm going to come back to this verse, and I'm going to look at the context of it. We're going to wrap it up in a neat little bow. And I'm going to show you that. Be perfect. Preachers get up and they preach this, and man, there's no pressure there, right? Hey, just be just like God. WWJD, what would Jesus do? You ain't Jesus. I think sometimes Jesus would surprise you what he'd do. Hey, don't, don't ever sin, never have a bad thought, never get mad, never look at somebody critically. Be perfect. Never cuss. Never look at someone who isn't your spouse in an attractive way. Never get mad at your kids. Hey, man, never take a little more than you should. Never lose it. Always have it together. Just be perfect. Never think about anyone. Never go a day without praying. Never go a day without reading your Bible. Never steal. Never look at something you're not supposed to look at on the internet. 
Basically, what preachers are telling you when they say this verse is, they're saying you need to live the life that you lie about living on Facebook. I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. I'm going to repeat that. And when I repeat that, you're going to be like, oh, dang. Basically, what preachers are telling you is, is that you need to live life like you lie about living life on Facebook. Because we all got it together on Facebook. On Facebook, I am the greatest thing in the world. I fight the fights I want to fight. I show you the images I want you to see. I give you the thoughts I want you to have. And then all the things that don't line up to with what I think you think they ought to line up with, guess what I do? I don't post those. So you're like, man, he's got it together. Look at Gary with that inspirational quote today as he sits naked in the sauna. That's my pastor. I want you to think about that every time I post those from now on. Look at this music Gary's listening to today. He's such so deep. I don't ever post a shallow music that's not meaningful. You know, Sir Mix-a-Lot, I don't post that. You know, I want you to think better of me than that. We're such fakes. And that's the problem with perfection. When it comes to perfection, you just can't win. I don't know why this illustration came in my head, but I know so many women that struggle with this. So many working moms struggle with the guilt of they're working, but man, they struggle with the guilt of I'm not home with my kids more. You can't win. Because then the stay-at-home moms struggle with the guilt of I don't really want to be around my kids all the time. <laughs> I need a break. Or, man, I went to college and I had this degree and, man, money's tight and I could be out making money right now and, and they feel good. See what I'm saying? No matter what you choose, you feel like you're not being perfect in another area. It, it, it's a lose-lose situation. You, you just can't win. And it's not a mom problem. It's an all-of-us problem. Dealing with the pursuit of perfection and I'm pretty passionate about this, and I've really struggled with how to make it make sense today. But, man, I'm passionate about this because I, I, I'm so sick of seeing people who are Christ followers feel like they're not Christ followers or feel like they're going to hell or God doesn't love them or God's judging them based on the fact that they're not perfect. We serve a good God, a loving God, a forgiving God. That sin that you're beating yourself up about or that guilt you're building, beating yourself up about or that thing that you think might be sin and might not even be sin to begin with, God paid the price for all that on the cross. He says, as far as the east is from the west, I remember it no more. God chooses not to remember. We remember the screw-ups. We remember people who do us wrong. God says, I choose not to to remember. Well, I'm really blind when I take these off. You guys look a lot better like this. <laughs> Couldn't get my contacts to go in my eyeballs this morning. Perfection, it's unattainable. Huh. To the point that, like I said, we almost lie to give the illusion that our lives are perfect. Hashtag Instagram. Like, we can't even post a picture without putting a filter on it. Because I don't want anybody to see that blemish or that wrinkle or that gray. Someone said, why'd you shave your beard off? Because it was gray. And Gary Lamb, I don't have gray beard. Christine wouldn't let me get Rogaine. Is it called Rogaine? Or whatever. No, Rogaine, is that not what it's called? What's Rogaine? Well, whatever it's called, dye. Whatever. Just for men. Whatever. Let's move on. We're talking about my gray and I don't like it. Right. Man, we, we, we just lie to give the illusion that, man, our lives are perfect. We can't hit the standard, so we're going to give the illusion that we hit the standard. <laughs> Rather than failing and feeling the guilt of failing and people knowing that we're not living up to it, 
I'm going to give the illusion that my life is perfect and everything is great and everything is wonderful. And, and like we can't even enjoy life because we're too busy trying to take a picture of it. Went to the Jacob Bryant show up in Jasper this last week and I was blown away as I stood in the back and I watched thousands of people watching a concert live through their phone. Giving the illusion that everything has to be perfect. Got to take that perfect picture. Hey, and by the way, when you take the picture up here, we know you're not perfect in your own eyes. Now, you're perfect to us, but you're not perfect. We know the angle. I get it. I got the double chin. I get it. No double chin that way. Come on, you're not fooling us. We get that. It's like when you have freckles all over your face, and man, freckles are cute, it's cool. But then like in your pictures, you have no freckles because you put the filter on. Like, you don't got to be perfect. Quit living this life that you have to be perfect. And it's a battle that we all struggle with. I've done a lot of research on this subject, especially in my past, when I felt like I had to live up to this perfection. And, and there's three types of perfectionists. Three types of perfectionists. There's the self-oriented perfectionist. This person, you hold unrealistically high expectations of yourself. You hold yourself to such a high standard. No one else puts that standard on you. You put it on yourself. You've got to be the best. And you can't live up to your own standard, so you battle feelings of guilt, often obsessing to the point of inefficiency. I, I can be that way sometimes, man. I, I, I want everything to be so perfect with what I do that it freezes me and paralyzes me that I end up doing nothing. This was in the past. I used to really struggle with that. And then you struggle with these deep feelings of inadequacy because you don't live up to this stupid standard that's unrealistic. Self-oriented perfectionist. There's the externally oriented perfectionist this is the person who believes others expect you to be perfect others expect you to be perfect your spouse expects you to always look a certain way and act a certain way and always have it together and your kids and your co-workers and your boss and it's externally you you take the pressure of the expectation of others and it consumes your life and the problem with that is, is you have five people in your life that have five different expectations of you, and sometimes those expectations contradict, and they all get twisted and woven together, and you can't live with any of them, and then you, you feel alone because you just regress. You feel depressed. You feel desperate because you know that you can't live up to their standards, even though you know their standards are unbiblical and their standards are wrong, and you know you'll never be enough. There's the others-oriented perfectionist. If you've ever been to the Little League ball field, you see parents that have this. You expect others to live up to your impossible standards. You tend to lack empathy. You tear others down. You're abrasive. You're demeaning. You use demeaning, and you do, but you do it under humor. You use demeaning humor towards others. Because they can't live up to your expectations. You sucked at baseball as a kid. You got picked on because you sucked at baseball as a kid. You were never part of the cool crowd because you sucked at baseball as a kid. So now you're going to vicariously live through your child at the ball field who also sucks at baseball. And you're going to act like an idiot. Like, man, when Luke played baseball... It was rough. Like, I would watch these parents. Like, am I lying? Like, you've heard of getting into a fight with parents on the other team? Like, I got into a fight with a parent on our own team. Like, we're on the side of the ball field, and yes, I pulled my line. Do you know who I am? And then here's the problem. It was a woman. Not that that's a problem. So I'm fighting with this woman. I'm mad at this woman. Then I start getting mad at her husband because he ain't defending his wife. So I'm yelling at his wife. I'm mad at him for not yelling at me for yelling at his wife. And Christine is saying, like, what the heck is going on? 
redneck, baby. That's what happens. <laughs> Externally oriented perfectionist. Their kid was no good. But they acted like he was the greatest thing and rode him all the time. It drove me nuts. We put our convictions on other people. Some of you are like, I am never coming back to this church. Cool. We probably recognize ourselves in one of these areas. And what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about the spiritual side of perfectionism. Because a lot of times we see perfectionism as a psychological issue and really at the end of the day what it is is a spiritual issue. Because everything is a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual problem because, because what we do is, it is really perfectionism is often, is often covering up our insecurities with man-made rules. It's taking my deepest fears and setting this ungodly standard and I'm going to mask my insecurities in the name of perfectionism because I don't believe God is enough. I don't believe God could love me with these flaws and these things and so I set my own standard, not God's standard, and I mask myself in clothing all the way back to the Garden of Eden. What happened to the Garden of Eden? Man, it was awesome. They were naked. I imagine, I've said this before, this is the first dude ever made and the first one ever made. They were hot. Hottest dude ever, hottest woman ever. Adam and Eve, that's Geary's theology. That's the way it plays out in my head. They're running around naked. Sounds like heaven on earth, which is what the Garden of Eden was. They screw up, they sin. They become aware of their sin. Don't miss this. They become aware of their nakedness. They become aware of their imperfection. And the first thing they do is they make garments of clothing to cover themselves up in their insecurities. Hello, that's what we do with perfectionism. We cover ourselves up in these man-made rules, in these expectations to cover up the fact that we're screwed up. Man, that's good preaching if a white boy is doing it. Perfectionism. At its root, it's a spiritual problem. So then if at its root it's a spiritual problem, at its root, we have to let God fix the issue. Because if the root is bad, the fruit is bad. When imperfectionism, and we have a false theology that God expects us to be perfect at the root, the fruit that we bear is going to be rotten, broken, and messed up because we're never going to obtain perfection. Hate to burst your bubble. And if we had to be perfect, we don't need God. Stop chasing perfectionism. Man, what I want to do is I want to clearly show you from the book of Romans how we're made right, how we're made right, not perfect, right with God. Paul, he's almost speaking directly right here into the spirit, the craving of perfection. He says in Romans 3.20, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Xander, when I get done, do not take that verse next. I'm going to break it down for you. Through the law, we become conscious of our sin. <laughs> no one is declared righteous in God's sights by the work of the law. We've got to follow the law, gear. We've got to follow all these rules. And if we follow all these rules, we have it all together. That's not what the law is there for. The law is therefore to make us aware that we can't follow the law, that we can't live up to that standard, that it's an impossible standard. We become conscious of our sin through the law, and it shows us our need for God. I don't break out the doctorate degree much up in here. I like to cook the cookies on the bottom shelf. But we're getting deep today. The law is not there to make you feel inadequate because you can't live up to it. 
The law is there to show you that you need God. We've got the Big Ten. We can't even live up to the Big Ten. I mean, imagine being a Pharisee back in the day when he said this. They had 613 laws. We got 10. I don't even like to go down the 10, man. <laughs> all, all the 10 does to me is reveal that I need grace, that I need Jesus, that I need God. You're never going to be good enough. Listen to me today. You will, can I walk out here, Barry? You will never be good enough to get into heaven. Only perfect things get to a perfect place, and we're not perfect. We're made perfect by what Christ did on the cross. Man. Number one, don't put anything ahead of God. X, I fail at that all the time. I can't remember the order of them. Don't covet what your neighbor has. X, well, if you live down here where I live, you don't covet what your neighbor has. Okay? Man. X, can't do that one. I can't even remember what the other ones are. Don't kill anybody. I'm, right now, I don't got to put an X by that one, but man, catch me on a bad day. Might have to put an X by that one. Like, I can't even follow the Big Ten. I screw it up all the time. Don't take God's name in vain. X. I try. Like, in my weird standard of thinking, man, it's okay to cuss. I try not to drop that one, but I do sometimes. Sometimes y'all make me so angry. It's y'all's fault. I just want to quit. I'm not even going down the team. It's X, X, X. I can't even follow those. So if i got to follow those to get to heaven, I'm screwed up. But he's not saying that. This says, hey, no one's declared righteous in God's sight by the works of law. You're not declared righteous by what you do and what you don't do. Though the law became, the, through the law, we just become conscious of our sin. We become aware that we're sinful, that we're imperfect, and we need a Savior. Man, listen to me. Let, me. let me encourage you today. I like to be an encourager. Action church where you leave feeling better about yourself. Here's what Scripture says about you. Scripture says the heart is deceitful. This thing right here is wicked. Wicked. Above all things. It's so whack that you can't even tell the truth about yourself. We've all fallen short of God's standards. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here's God's standard and here's us. I don't care who you are. I don't care who the most godly person that you think in this room is. For craps and giggles, I want you to look around. And if you're not part of Action Church, you're new here, you won't be able to do this. I want you to look around. I want you to point to the person at this church you think is the most godly. I'm just curious who y'all think is the most godly. I know who I think is the most godly. Go around. Go around. Who? Bam! That's what I was going to say, girl. Tanya May. I love Tanya May. And I ain't saying anything about Tanya May bad. But one time, I was at a No Sweat concert, and Tanya May might have had a half a drink too many. And she was not perfect that night. Now, she wasn't as big of a heathen as y'all all are. But by Tanya May's standards, I've seen her get mad at me before, and I think one time she cussed at me. I think it was like, damn. So I don't know if that counts. But she's not perfect. There's no one who lives up to God's standard. 
all of us fall so important. I'm not trying to make you feel bad about yourself, but the reality is until you see yourself as a sinner, until you see yourself as imperfect, until you see yourself as not being able to live up to the law, you'll never see your need for a Savior. And that's why the law is so beautiful. The law is beautiful. The law is not created to guilt us. The law was created to show us that we need Jesus. You can't do it without Jesus. It's Jesus on Sunday and Jesus on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. It's Jesus. What's the question you have? I don't care. The answer is Jesus. But Gary, you don't know. Jesus. He used screwed up people. He used people that denied him. He used murderers. He used adulterers. He used drunks. My Isaiah was naked. But naked. Preaching the gospel naked. I'm going to try that real soon. Y'all wanted me to grow this place. Trust me, we'll be in reverse growth if that happens. The law shows me that I need help, that I can't be perfect, that I can't live up to that. But the law shows me that I'm inadequate, so how am I made right with God? This is what's so amazing, and I, and I pray that you hear this. Paul goes on to say we're made right with God, not by our religious efforts, not by doing good works, not by eliminating bad stuff in our lives, not by joining a church, not by going to a church, not by giving to a church, not by serving at a church, not for helping other people. We're made right by God through a relationship with Jesus. Mm, I wish you could get this. God's going to kill me. God's not going to kill you. One day, you might die. I mean, yeah, I'm the only one going to live forever. i got a plan. <laughs> Gosh, I wish you understood the love of God. I wish you understood you're not your mistakes, you're not your mess-ups. I got 737 children that range in age from three. How old's my father-in-law? How old's Rick? All the way to 50, almost 60 years old. Like I run the gambit in kids. I got one in Macon. Like, like I feel like I have more kids than anybody. Like I'm raising everybody. Dealing with them, keeping them in line. Here's the, there's nothing they could do to ever make me not love them. I don't love them because of what they do. My oldest daughter, I want to wring her freaking neck right now. Wham, wham. But guess what? I love that kid. There's nothing she could ever do to make me not love her. God doesn't love you based on what you do. You think God's impressed with your actions? What a lie of the church. And you know why the church started that lie? Because the church wanted to control people. It goes back. Grace was preached almost into the founding of our country. And we got to America and people went hog wild. They could drink and do something. The church has said, we had to rein everybody in. Don't drink and don't do this. And we got to make you live this way a certain way. We scared people into living right instead of loving people into living the way God called them to live. Gosh, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do except Jesus. It's not Christ plus church. It's not Jesus plus good works. It's not Jesus plus helping the little old lady walk across the road. You don't got to help the little old lady walk across the road to be right with God. Now, if I see you not helping the little old lady across the road, I'm going to slap you. You got to do it to be right with me. You got to do it right to be right by God. It's Jesus plus nothing. Why can't we grasp that? 
Perfectionism focuses on what I do. How long have we went? Oh, man, we're early. Hope your crock pot was on low today. Let me pull up a seat. If you're kind of new here, we start at 10 o'clock where I can preach forever and we can still beat the Baptists to the restaurants and still get home in time for the football game. It's a strategy to 10 o'clock service. Perfectionism focuses on what I do. Perfectionism focuses on my performance, my effort, my religious works, but grace focuses on what Jesus has already done. Perfectionism says, look what I do, and man, grace says, look what he's done. It's his righteousness, his goodness, his... Perfectionism is... (laughs) Perfectionism is sin. Because perfectionism is all about you. And the Bible says to him that knoweth to do good and do it not, it is sin. So when you think you've got to live a perfect life, guess what? You're living an imperfect life by trying to live a perfect life. Boom, how about that? My work's my effort. That's what perfectionism is. Grace is all about Jesus. What he did on the cross. Do you realize that the sinless son of God came and lived for 33 years? A perfect life, something that we cannot do. And he gave his life on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. You're still paying the, the penalty of your sin. And Jesus like, it's paid in full. You won't show up at the bank and be like, hey, that car I paid for two years ago. Man, here's another payment. Like, it's paid for, you idiot. That's what I believe God, God's like, you, if I was God, and you came to me about your screw-ups, I'd be like, shut up. I'd probably cuss a little bit. I'd be a cussing God. I'd be, you're, you're an idiot. I'm God. The Georgia game's about to come on. Quit wasting my time. I've already forgiven you of that. Now, I'll interrupt the Georgia game for something important, but you're, that's taken care of. Come back during the Alabama game. Florida State game, Auburn game, any other team. Was that like a foreign language? Like, did somebody just speak in like some Alabama Crimson Tide tongues out there? Like they said, roll tie, woo, woo, wah, what, what the... I hate this church. (laughs) Perfectionism, man. Perfectionism believes if I obey, if I'm good enough, if I'm holy, then maybe God will love me. How sad. (laughs) Grace says because God loves me, he accepts me in spite of all my insecurities, all my screw-ups, and all my failings. Professional says, I have to win God's approval and grace as you already have it, just accept it. Once we grasp this, it's game changer. Once we grasp that perfectionism is not possible, we get to choose some other things over perfectionism. Because perfectionism will consume you. It will take all your time. Guilt is a monster, man. (laughs) See, the the first thing we get to do is we get to choose people over perfection. We get to choose people over perfection. When we're not focused on perfection, we get to choose people. But when we're focused on perfection, we can't choose people because we can't have relationships with people because all we see is their imperfections. We're so busy doing instead of being. In Luke chapter 10, there's this awesome story. There's two sisters, and Jesus comes to chill at the house. Jesus just hanging out at the house, watching the football game, eating some chicken wings, probably drinking a beer. He probably probably drinking wine. There was probably no wine there, and he turned some water into wine. He's like, hey, let's, let's have fun. What does it say in Talladega Nights? I like to picture my Jesus on the front row of a Leonard Skinner concert, and he's got a tuxedo T-shirt on. It says, hey, I'm Jesus, but I'm here to party. Like Jesus is just at Mary and Martha's house chilling. Look what the Bible says. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, 
You're worried and upset over all the details. Why he's telling her that is because Martha's running around trying to make sure everything's perfect. She's trying to make sure that the food's perfect and the house is clean and now all the guests are happy and, and, and she's running. And then she starts to get mad at her sister who's just chilling with Jesus. Mary, come on! We got all this stuff to do. And Mary's like, man, I'm just being. I'm just enjoying the moment. <laughs> the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, why are you worried and upset over all these details? There's only one thing worth being concerned about and Mary has discovered and it will not be taken away from her. So many of us, man, we're so worried about perfectionism that we miss out on people. We have a group of people coming to our house today. Why? Because it's Labor Day weekend and that's what you do. And the smokers fired up and the pool's cold and, man, the music's going to be loud and everything's going to be fun. And I got up this morning and I was like, man, people are coming over. And I looked at Christine. I was like, hey, I, are you going to do this and this and get the house all cleaned up? Because, you know, I'm not, i got to get work. I did like most husbands do. I put it all on her. And she said something that struck me. She said, I'm going to run the vacuum. She said, I'm going to go wipe the bathroom down. She said, but I'm really not worried about it because it's our friends coming over. Mm. She didn't know what I was preaching. So many of you miss out on the blessings of people because you're worried about perfectionism everything's got to be right and everything's got to be great and every tea's and every, just enjoy people you come over to the lamb manor here's what's going to happen two dogs are going to jump all over you probably the three-year-old's going to be running around with no pants on and just her underwear on because she's taking her pants off somewhere and throwing them somewhere and the pillows are going to be in the floor and there's going to be dog hair everywhere because our dogs shed and Here's the deal. You can come over and have a good time. Or you can come over and everything can be perfect and we'll never have time just to chill out and enjoy you. So many of us are missing out on people because we're worried about perfectionism. Martha's running around. She's got Jesus in her house. And she's missing out on Jesus. Holy smoke. She's missing out on Jesus. So she's trying to be perfect. You're doing that. You're missing out on Jesus because you're trying to be perfect. Dang, I should have just said that and went home. Don't miss the moments because you're so busy trying to make them perfect. Last, we're going to go home now. We get to choose perfect love over perfect performance. We get, to use the per we get to choose the perfect love of our Father rather than performing to try to impress Him or somebody else. When you realize you don't have to be perfect and that they love you in spite of your imperfections, is there anything more powerful than that? It's the craving that we all have. For someone to love us in spite of our flaws. For someone to love us for who we are. Warts and all. Broke, busted, and disgusted. Hurts, habits, and hang-ups. When you realize you don't have to be perfect, you get to accept the perfect love of Christ over trying to live a perfect performance. I don't know what it is you're trying to cover up today. Maybe it's shame, inadequacy, a fear of being judged, whatever it is. Man, you're putting on this covering. But we serve a perfect Father perfect father remember that verse we started the service it says be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect let's take the context of that verse now the bible says a few chapter verses back you have heard that it is said love your neighbor and hate your enemy but i tell you love your enemies pray for those who persecute you if you love those who 
if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? Tax collectors are loving those that love them. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Then there's that verse, be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect. Jesus is saying, he's saying, you've heard love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those people. He's saying, if you love those who love you, big deal. Big deal that you love those people. Love your enemies. And when you love your enemies, when you have this perfect love, you're not worried about perfect performance. And perfect love makes you perfect like the Father. This is a verse about love, not living perfect. It's a a verse about loving perfectly. It's easy to love those that we like and those that are good to us. He's not talking about our behavior here. He's not talking about our performance here. He's talking about the practice of us loving people. Loving people, flaws and all. I've learned that I can dislike people and still love them. That's hard. But I can do it. That word in the Greek, perfect, that word in the perfect in the Greek, it doesn't mean to be perfect in performance. It means to be mature. It means to be made complete. We're to be complete in our love. And when you're not trying to have the perfect performance, then you can have the perfect love. Here's the deal, and I'm going to wrap it up. Some of you are killing yourselves trying to be perfect. Killing yourselves. If I can just be good enough, you can't. And here's my question. What's good enough? What's the standard? Barry, is this speaker about to blow up and kill me? They just started making noise. I don't want to die today. What's good enough? If I only steal a candy bar and I don't steal a car, is that good enough? If I only double take on that chick and I don't do X, Y, Z with that chick? Is that good enough? If I only think about, let me rephrase that, ladies, if you only think about what that guy's thinking, and, and some of you guys can think about guys too, I just, I just don't. Even though they try to pick me up in saunas because I got it like that. Okay, listen, I just check him out at the gym while he's flexing. Is that okay? Well, what's good enough? If I only steal and three times in my life instead of four times and what what's the what is good enough the bible doesn't give us the standard for what is good so the problem with that is good is in the eye of the beholder your definition of good and my definition of good are different so we can't live up to a standard that is non-existent so quit trying to be good enough and just start accepting the love of god Let's pray.